Monte Carlo. It's not just a gambling town on the French Riviera. It's actually a quite powerful retirement planning tool. And I'm about to explain what it is on this, the 18th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now, here's your host, Andy Panko. Alrighty, welcome back, everybody. Who wants to learn about Monte Carlo? I know I do. So as I said in the teaser, Monte Carlo is a retirement planning tool, not just retirement planning, but sort of an investment uh, planning tool named after the gambling town of Monte Carlo and the little uh, sovereign city-state of Monaco on the French Riviera. Um, before I get into it, though, I want to mention, I, I forgot to add something in last week's podcast. Last, uh, last week was episode 16, where I talked about, uh, I'm sorry, episode 17 was last week, where I talked about alternative to bonds and bond funds. And I did not mention something called a stable value fund. Um, I actually thought about it and, and decided to leave it out because it's not available to all people. It's only available to those in institutional investment plans like 401ks, you know, employer plans. Um, but after I thought about it, I realized, yeah, it, it probably should be in there because because more people than I think uh, might have access to it. So uh, briefly, a stable value fund is sort of like a money market account or, or a bank account is a better way to think about it. There's really uh, no risk of principal loss. You put money in, you can take it out typically whenever. Some plans may allow you to or may require you to keep it in for a quarter or something, you know, 90 days. Uh, but the, the upside is there's higher than bank level interest. Depending on your employer's plan, uh, stable value funds are currently paying somewhere between one and a half to maybe 2% um, interest. Now that can change every month, every quarter, every whatever, based on your plan's uh, documentation and rules. But it's a, it's a good um, you know, guaranteed interest, no downside risk uh, alternative. Again, only available to those in institutional plans like 401ks. There is no stable value fund on the outside world, at least nothing that allows you to put money and take money out at will. The closest thing is like a MIGA, multi-year guaranteed annuity, like I touched on last week, but that that has a multi-year uh, you know, guarantee to it. So something to consider. Uh, interest isn't smashingly high, a couple percent maybe, like I said, which, which isn't much to write home about, but it at least guarantees no loss, which is nice. Um, and for those that are federal employees and have the thrift savings plan, you know, the federal equivalent of a 401k, it's the G fund uh, is, is synonymous with stable value. And currently it's paying two and a half percent. The G fund changes rates every month, I believe. So it can go up, can go down. I think technically the rate of the G fund is based on the average yield of all treasury securities with greater than four year maturity, if I remember correctly. And that's currently two and a half percent. But it has been much lower, and, and it can and will be higher uh, if and when interest rates continue rising upward. So that's all. I uh, thought I should add that in. Again, that's an add-on to episode 17 last week. So now let's get into Monte Carlo. So uh, it does take its name after the gambling town, and that's because it is a tool that uses a lot of um, random variables, basically. And it was sort of developed by someone who, if I if this story, if I remember correctly, was a mathematician who was trying to plot out statistically possible outcomes for playing a bunch of solitaire, card game solitaire. And the gist is there's there's lots of random variables that go into the probability of certain things like card games, like investment returns, that you can't possibly predict the future. Without a well-functioning crystal ball, it's impossible. It is literally impossible 
to know what these things are going to do in the future. But if you at least know the inputs and variables that impact what may happen, well, you can attempt to try to model it. You can model it with, you know, within certain bounds and ranges of, of what is hypothetically, you know, theoretically, statistically possibly relevant. That, in essence, is what Monte Carlo does. Now, I'm not a mathematician myself. I, you know, I know enough to know how this uh, how this Monte Carlo process works. I've never actually built or designed a Monte Carlo engine or model myself, but uh, you know, I, I understand in broad strokes what it does, what its limitations are, and you know how to how to actually apply it. So it's important to know that this is not the end all be all of retirement planning and predictions because it is trying to, in effect, guess the future, which we know is going to be wrong doesn't mean we don't at least try to come up with some educated guesses and statistically possible things that may happen. And that is ultimately what, what Monte Carlo is doing. Now, many people um, poo-poo it. You know, they, they speak bad about it. And, and frankly, I think that's for one of two reasons or a combination of the two. One is that they don't understand it. They don't understand it and how to apply it. They don't understand what its limitations are. They don't understand the basics of, of, of what it's doing. Uh, the other camp is those that are have an agenda to... Um, to convince you it's not good. And this typically comes down, not typically, but I've seen it most commonly with folks who sell uh, generally insurance products. You know, they're selling some sort of guarantee. And Monte Carlo, by its very nature, is trying to model something that's not guaranteed and give you educated guesses about what may happen to it. So people who are in the business of selling guarantees, of course, you're going to say, ah, that's garbage. Why would you want something that has an unknown outcome? Here, here's something you can buy with certainty and, and I happen to sell it. So I'll touch on that that more in a bit, but um, that, that's my view on why people talk bad about it. They they don't understand it, or they have an agenda to uh, to speak against it. So let, let's talk about how you know what it actually is. Um, now in retirement planning, there's so many big important variables that can and will determine the outcome of your life success, your financial success, your success, your your retirement success. So just think about all, all the things that can and will change and will impact your retirement. A, how long are you going to live, right? Is it 10 years? Is it 30 years? Or is it somewhere in between? Depending when you actually pass, that, that could have a very different um, outcome to outliving your money or dying with, with you know, grossly too much money, which is uh, a lot of life unlived, unfortunately. So that, that's one really hard variable to try to guess, but it's super important in determining the ultimate success of your retirement plan. B would be investments. Next is investments. Uh, stocks, bonds, cash, commodities, crypto, you know, whatever it is you invest in, real estate. The outcomes of uh, what happens to the price of those over time will, will help uh, greatly impact your retirement. If stocks, like in Japan, for example, the, the Nikkei 225, you know, J Japan's uh, broad stock index, reached a peak in 1989, I think it was, give or take a year crashed, it's still not back to where it was over 30 years ago. Um, now, if you were in the mid-1980s in Japan modeling an all-stock portfolio of Japanese stocks, I don't think anyone would have assumed the stock market would have crashed and not come back after more than three decades. If that happened, I'm sure that derailed lots of retirement plans uh, for, for folks in Japan. Uh, separate story, but that's one of the reasons why you, you should have diversified portfolio. Don't invest in any one company, in any one sector, in any one country even. Because look, uh, Japan is case in point. What was the world's second largest economy, stock market tanked, has not yet come back 33 years later. Did I do the math right? Yeah, 89. So, yeah, 33 years. 
Um, so there, there's huge variables. Another one is inflation. You know, let's call that C. So A was your own longevity. B was investment returns. C is inflation. Um, historical average over the last 30 years is, is just shy of 2.5%. I think it's like 2.3, 2.4%. Now, the last year or two, as, as you all know, inflation's 7 plus percent annually. Now, uh, I, I don't think that will hold forever. If it does, we're all in various sorts of, of trouble that none of us uh, are, are able to, uh, to, to probably deal with if it's 7% per year forever. Um, but you know, that, that's something, it's a bit of a shock. Now we knew inflation would come back to some extent, whether it spiked up to 4%, 5%, 7%, 10%, we don't know. Uh, inflation has been higher. It, it was over, you know, it was in double digits in the seventies, not to say, uh, I'm hoping we don't get there again, but, uh, who knows? But the things like that, you know, if inflation stays elevated for multiple years, well, that's going to hurt plans to some extent. Or if inflation drops back down and keeps hovering below 3% on average, um, then, you know, that's going to make a lot of plans uh, jive with what initial projections were. So lots of big variables. Uh, it's impossible to guess the ultimate outcome of any one of them, let alone the combination of them, right? You, you put multiple big important variables together and start tweaking them and pulling different levers and all kinds of things could happen to these projections. So Monte Carlo attempts to try to, uh, at least on the investment side of things, attempts to try to put some numbers behind what the probability is of something happening, specifically the probability of you depleting your portfolio assets. Hold that thought for a moment. So why use Monte Carlo if we know it's going to be wrong, if we know it's just making uh, basically an educated statistical guess? Well, what else are you going to do, right? It, it's not the end-all be-all, like I said. It's just one additional data point to try to help um, triangulate on on what a successful or viable retirement plan looks like for you. So historically, people may have just used average returns, you know, average stock market return, let's assume 7 8% per year. If you just model that into your uh, plans and assume your stock portfolio is going to go up a consistent 6 7 8% every single year, may look good on paper, but in practice, financial markets don't happen in neat, pretty linear fashions. You will not get a consistent 6 7 8% per year. There's going to be years you'll get 20-something, you know, like last year. There'll be years where it's down something, and there'll be years where it's anything in between. So this matters for something called sequence of return risk. I'll, I'll save this for a separate uh, separate episode. But basically, when you're in the decumulation stage of life, taking money out of a portfolio, the timing and sequence of when good and bad years of returns happen matters very much for the overall longevity and health of your portfolio. So just assuming you're, you'll get a neat and pretty average annual return isn't going to happen. It's, it's far from realistic. So Monte Carlo at least helps uh, model what 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 could happen if and when there are inconsistent you know variable returns across your portfolio over the 30 year whatever years of your retirement so using average returns is flawed flying blind is flawed you can't do nothing in terms of projecting like i said we don't know what the future is going to be but that doesn't mean you don't at least try to uh, come up with some educated guesses and reasonable assumptions about what things may possibly look like and then plan accordingly so flying blind is flawed Monte Carlo tries to sort of fill the gap between using averages and flying blind, um, uses past data to, to, in effect, try to model some statistically possible scenarios. So specifically what it does, and it is a bit of a black box, depending on the software platform you're using, they're not going to reveal to you exactly the math of what it's doing. You just kind of put in the, the inputs and, and it'll spit out the outputs. 
So let me see if I can try to sum this up neatly in a, in a podcast, you know, audio format. Basically, it looks at your portfolio. It looks at all of the things you're currently invested in, stocks, bonds, whatever. It looks at the average returns of those things historically. It looks at the volatility of those things historically, meaning how much of those prices move up or move down relative to the averages. And it also looks at the correlation across those various assets. So how have stocks moved relative to bonds and how have bonds moved relative to commodities and how have commodities moved relative to stocks? So there's this big sort of matrix of, uh, you know, the, the uh, I'm trying to think about this in non-statistical terms, like kind of the interdependencies of how these things have moved relative to one another over the past. So it starts with that data and it looks at, based on whatever financial planning or modeling software you're using, what are the anticipated withdrawals or deposits even if you're adding money to the portfolio, but what are the anticipated uh, cash inflows or outflows from your investable portfolio over the next however long you're modeling for? So for a typical retiree, let's assume you stop working 65, you plan on living till 95, you have a 30-year window. So Monte Carlo will um, figure out, you know, you have to tell it, what are my anticipated portfolio distributions or portfolio contributions over the next 30 years. Here's what my portfolio currently looks like. Let's model it using the past as a, as a basic guide. What's the probability knowing that I plan on putting in or taking out this much money over these 30 years? What's the probability of my money not running out over 30 years? Uh, that in a you know, kind of nutshell is what it's ultimately doing. Now, the way it does it is it runs, a depending on the platform, uh, the, the software I use called eMoney runs a thousand different trials behind the scenes. So in each of these thousand trials uses different assumed inputs for these variables. So going back to the example of if you if you just assume your stock portfolio goes up 7% every year, well, that's easy to do. You can do that in a basic spreadsheet or even on paper, um, but it's not going to go up 7% per year. It's going to be good years, bad years, and everything in between. So Monte Carlo, in one of the thousand trials, I may say, okay, stock market goes up six percent this year but then down ten percent the next year and then up three percent the next year and then up twelve percent the next year and, and whatever it'll assume you know th these different outcomes and it'll also assume okay what if the bond market goes up x percent down y percent and et cetera et cetera what if commodities go up this up this down that up this and so it, it does these sort of random guessing of these different movements within the portfolio all the different security types and it does a thousand different trials of these of these guessings and it projects out the 30 years in this case for each of these thousand trials. And for each of the thousand trials, it says how much money is left at the end of the 30 years. For every trial where there's at least $1 left, meaning you did not deplete your investable portfolio, that is deemed a success. Now, notice I said at least a dollar left. Whether it means $10 million left or whether it means $1 left, it's a success just the same because what it's measuring is you not running out of portfolio assets. So long as you don't run out, it's statistically deemed a success. So now it'll run these thousand trials and it's gonna give you a score. And that score will be a percentage between zero and 100%. Um, the way to interpret this, it says if, if the score is 100%, it means in all thousand of those trials, you ended up with at least $1 of projected portfolio value left at the end of the 30 years. Or if the result was 90%, let's say, it means in 90% of the trials or not at, you know, 900 of the 1,000 trials, your portfolio projected, was projected to end up with at least 
at the end of the 30 years at 95. Again, whether it was $1 or $10 million, doesn't matter. It's statistically a success just the same. So it's uh, you know captured in that, that 90% success rate. Um, and it doesn't have to be dying with anything more than $0. You, you can set the terminal goal to be whatever you want. So if your goal is to leave a million dollars to your kids or something, you can say, okay, you know, program this Monte Carlo to say, make sure there's at least a million dollars left. Now, what's the chance of me dying with at least a million dollars in that case? And that'll run these thousand trials and it'll say, how many trials do you end up with at least a thousand dollars? And then it's going to give you your score between zero and 100%. So if you don't model in some sort of non-zero terminal value, the, the default assumption is what's the chance of me ending up with something greater than zero? Again, whether it's a dollar or 10 million, doesn't matter, greater than zero. So you'd have to change it to say, I want to die with at least a million or at least 2 million if you want some sort of uh, you know terminal uh, legacy value. So that's, that's Monte Carlo in a nutshell. Um, so you may be thinking, well, yeah, hold on before I get there. So yeah, that that's leave it at that for now. Um, there's a few other things to consider, which I'll touch on in a bit. But just just another takeaway is if you have a Monte Carlo score of eighty percent, it means you have a of of the thousand trials ran or ten thousand, you know, however many trials are run using the software you're using. Uh, there's an eighty in eighty percent of those trials, you ended up not running out of portfolio assets, and twenty percent you did. You know, whether you ended up with negative one or negative million. It's a failure just the same because the point was your money was you know is not projected to last for 30 years, 20% of those trials. So don't freak out yet. That may sound bad. You may be saying, well, a Monte Carlo of anything less than 100% is a failure. No, far from it. Um, and, and this is where I get into people, uh, you know, don't understand it or, or, or try to kind of use it to uh, misconstrue what, what it really means. So Monte Carlo is not a, a binary thing. It's not like going back to the example of let's use 90%. You know, you get a Monte Carlo score of 90%. That doesn't mean that only one of two things are going to happen. One, you die with money left. And two, you die with no money left. And there's a 10% chance that number two happens. No, it's not like that. And the the frequent counterpoint people will use, and, and I often hear this from uh, you know folks who, who sell some have some sort of guarantee to sell you. They say, would you get on a plane if the pilot were to tell you there's a 90% chance you're going to land? You know, there's a 90% chance you're going to get to where you want to go? Absolutely not. They're going to say there's a 10% chance you're going to crash and die, right? Um, I wouldn't take that bet. You know, I wouldn't get on a plane where the pilot says there's only a 90% chance you're going to make it there. And that's what people try to equate Monte Carlo scores to. Well, that's just flat out wrong. And that's intellectually dishonest and misleading. Uh, in the case of a plane, sure, you know it, it is a binary A or B outcome. A is you safely land. B is you you crash and don't. Uh, Monte Carlo doesn't isn't the same. Ninety percent Monte Carlo doesn't mean ninety percent chance you you make it to you know to death without dying broke, and ten percent chance you die broke. No, it, the, the best way to think about it is there's a ten percent chance you'll need to change your plans along the way, because remember Monte Carlo is in our example trying to project out thirty years a whole bunch of different variables, right? Stocks, bonds, commodities, uh, what they're all going to do relative to one another. Of course, it's going to be wrong. Of course, things will change. You don't use it as, like I said, the the end-all, be-all. It is not that. It is just a tool. Um, if you get a score of 90, it means, yeah, if, if nothing changes, you know, if life plays out as it has in the past and as Monte Carlo anticipates it may going forward, Yes, there is a 90% chance I, I won't need to change anything and everything's going to uh, you know, work out well for me. 
or there's a 10% chance I will need to change things along the way. Like if there is an unforeseen bad string of stock market years, of course that's going to change the plan and it's going to make you more likely to uh, to uh, you know end up on the weaker end of that Monte Carlo score. So the the right way to do it is it's not a do it once in your lifetime and that's it and assume it's going to factually play out that way. No, it will be wrong because there's so many things that will change across time. The best way to use it is you, you do it initially and you use it for sort of uh, broad stroke planning. So for example, let's say you're you're 60, you want to know, can I retire at 65? Well, we don't know the future, but the best we can do is use something like Monte Carlo and other inputs to see what is the chance of, uh, of me not running out of money if I do this. So if you're 60 now and you plug in, what if I stop working at 65 and the Monte Carlo score is 30%, then no, you know, that, that that's pretty glaringly obvious. That, that That's probably not going to work. Sure, maybe it will, but chances are I cannot retire at 65 and expect to live till 95 uh, at least without changing things, maybe I have to spend a mu- you know a lot less, or um, you know hope I don't live that long. You know if uh, if you do live till ninety five or a hundred, that may really strain the plan. You know, so that that's one way to do it, sort of broad stroke thing. Now, if your if your score, you know, that same scenario, you're sixty, you want to retire sixty five, you get a Monte Carlo score of eighty. Well, that's pretty good. That means okay, yeah, that that is within the realm of reasonable. Now, yes, maybe I will need to tweak along the way. Like after a few years, I turn 65, I retire, and there's a multi-year spike in inflation that uh, you know we didn't we didn't plan on happening. Then, then yeah, you may need to change things. You may need to dial back your expenses a bit, or if things get really bad, maybe you do go back to work for some. Doesn't need to be full time necessarily, but some sort of non-zero income to uh, you know to, to help you on the the income side of the equation. So it's it's really kind of that. Uh, you can also tweak it or use it to uh, do other sort of, I like to say, broad stroke planning to look at the impact of certain what ifs. Like, okay, you run a Monte Carlo, it says I have a 90% chance of, of this thing, you know, being successful, me living until 95, not running out of money. What if I start spending 10 grand more a year than I originally planned, which means all else equal 10 grand more per year coming out of your portfolio. Monte Carlo will, will capture that. If you do that and your Monte Carlo score drops down to 85, that's not that bad. You know, that you can still... Uh, still within the realm of reasonable. But if your Monte Carlo score drops down to 50, you know, from 90, then I'd say no, then you shouldn't plan on spending 10 grand more a year because that clearly is a uh, strain to the long-term likelihood of success of this plan. So you can do it, you do it like that. Just, you know, look at the anticipated impact of things. Don't use it as an exact science. Don't say this absolutely means there's an 85% chance this is going to work. Just means, you know, look at the order of magnitude of the impact it has. If, if, if it drops you to a score of like 50 or below, then no, that, that's a scenario you want to avoid. That's definitely a stress point in your plan that you should uh, try to uh, prevent from, from happening if possible. The other way to best practice to use it is, is use it on an ongoing basis. As I mentioned previously, you can't do it once when you're 60, you know, you're going to do a 30, 35 year projection. You can't do it once and assume life's actually going to play out like that. It, it will be wrong. It will change. You can do it every year, every six months and keep refreshing, you know, as, as, uh, more data points pass, uh, as, as there's less life expectancy, frankly, you know, every year you get older, it's a, it's a closer to, um, you know, hitting that 95 or whatever your, your anticipated longevity end date is, but there, there'll be more data points and you'll, you'll keep sort of honing in on the, uh, kind of the, the finality of all this. 
So when you're 60, you run it and it says, okay, I have a score of you know 90% based on my assumed expenses of however much per year and my current portfolio and current assumptions for inflation. Uh, you do it again next year. You know Now you're a year older and now let's say inflation was lower than we thought it was gonna be. And let's say the market did better than we thought it was gonna be. Well, now your plan's probably gonna look a little higher. You know It's now gonna be 91%, let's say. And that's good. So you, you, you can keep on keeping on. Uh, let's say you fast forward a few more years um, there was a you know few bad years of market returns. You ended up spending more than you thought you were going to because you really lived it up with uh, you know discretionary expenses and travel. Um, inflation spiked. Now you run it again, and okay, you know what was ninety percent a few years ago now is only eighty. You know that, that that's that's not a positive trend. So that means okay, it's time to sort of rein things in, or at least be be very cognizant of what's going on. Realize at some point you're now more likely to have to. Tweak and alter your plans again. Whether it's cut expenses, whether it's invest differently, um, whether it's again, you know, maybe you have to go back get some income from somewhere. That you know, the the worse your score gets over time, the more you're gonna have to make changes, whatever those changes may be. So that that's really the way to use it. It's not a one and done. It's use it as a guidepost, and and the guidepost even in retirement, you know, it, this is all a moving target for better or worse. And Monte Carlo is one tool to help you assess along the way. How's the plan holding up? What could or should I do differently? You know, if the Monte Carlo results keep getting better over time, it means you should be spending more or you know, you're not spending enough. If the results keep getting worse, it means you're spending too much or the markets have been worse than anticipated or inflation has been worse than anticipated. So that, that's really um, the best way to use it. Now, as I, I said a few times, it is not the end all be all. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, definitely, I think it's worth doing and it's worth redoing over time to keep using it as a, you know, a moving target, like I said, to help you kind of hone in on uh, and, and, and tweak along the way your plan. But you can also use it with other things. Like it, it's it's good to use it as a, um, alongside just sort of, you know, common sense, black and white cash flow matching. So what do I, what do I mean by that? Um, if you have you know, or you're going to have social security of, I'm just making up a number, 35,000 a year, and you're going to have a pension of 35,000 a year, that's $70,000 a year in guaranteed income that's not going away. And if your, your, you know, kind of minimum basic expenses are, let's just say 60 grand a year, then you'll be okay. You know, absolute worst case, if and when your portfolio depletes, you're not going to be in complete destitution because you're going to have a social security pension that, uh, in our example, more than covers your basics. You may not be able to take lavish trips anymore, but um, at least you're going to live, uh, you know, a, a dignified life because your, your your basic expenses will be covered by guaranteed income that can't run out. So look at Monte Carlo in that context as well. For example, um, if you do have real healthy Social Security and pension that more than covers your basics, then maybe you should, you know, target to try to spend down your assets. Um, you know, leave some for rainy day, leave some for legacy, for gifting, leave some for, uh, you know, if you don't have a long-term care plan of some sort of how you're going to address long-term care expenses, if when the time comes, you know, leave some money for that. But otherwise, live it up while you can, you know, while, while your mind and body are young, do the nice trips, have do the fun stuff. Um, worst case, if and when your portfolio does eventually deplete, if you still have social security and pension to cover your basics, then then you're still good, you know, at one extreme. Which leads me to my, my other sort of consideration um, and, and thing to keep in mind. Monte Carlo and its results is just in the context of your investable portfolio. 
It does not mean your social security is going to stop. It does not mean your pension is going to stop. It does not mean your annuity income is going to stop. It does not mean your, your home equity is no longer there. The percentage score you get from Monte Carlo is just the percentage likelihood of your investable portfolio depleting. And as I touched on before, even if and when your investable portfolio does deplete, you'll still have whatever other non-portfolio income sources it may be. Social security is the most common. Pension for those of you that have it. If you have annuities you know, uh, and you, you have a, a lifetime guaranteed annuity stream, that will still be there independent of your traditional investable portfolio depleting. Uh, another big one Monte Carlo doesn't capture is home equity. A lot of people have a lot of equity tied up in their homes. Um, that's potentially tappable, whether it's through a reverse mortgage or you sell and downsize to a smaller house and unlock and uh, you know free up some of that equity to to monetize and use that way. Those are all options as well. So even if you do have a um, you know questionable Monte Carlo score, 60, 70%, I don't know, if you have uh, other assets, other income streams, be it you know be it your own property, your own real estate or social security pension annuities, uh, or business interests, you know, business interests aren't captured in uh, in Monte Carlo typically. Well, those are all other sources of uh, income or assets you have to fall back on and, and help monetize. So you have to look at the bigger picture of Monte Carlo. Don't get too hung up on the reading itself. You know, know in the broader context of your plan that that reading is just your investable assets. It's not your other sources of income. Now, if all you have is investable assets, you don't have social security, you don't have pension, you don't have um, you know, home equity you can tap and you don't have family friend network who can potentially take you in and help support you, you know, if need be down the road, then yes, then, then pay much closer attention to Monte Carlo score. Cause all you have is your investable portfolio. Then you definitely, uh, want and need that to last throughout the rest of your life. So you have to pay much closer attention to this than, um, you know, other folks who do have other income sources or, uh, or assets. Uh, I think that's it. So I, I will leave it here for now. Hope you found this helpful. Um, Monte Carlo is, is you know, the takeaway. Definitely not a science. There's lots of math behind it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a uh, prediction of the future. It's an educated, statistically relevant guess of what the future may look like and, and sort of give you some basic bounds and parameters for how likely something is or isn't. Do not use it as a one and done tool. It's best used on an iterative basis over time, as as time and financial markets uh, elapse, and and you know things move relative to one another. Your own life circumstances change, your expenses change. Keep redoing this analysis and look for trends. If the number keeps getting better, good for you. If it keeps getting worse, you're going to need to eventually tweak along the way, uh, or, or or you know more likely you have to sort of tweak your plans and expectations along the way. Um, last takeaway: it is not the same as a pilot saying we have a 90% chance of getting where we're going and a 10% chance we don't. Anyone who tells you that, again, either doesn't understand Monte Carlo or is trying to scare you and sell you something. So uh, be cautious whenever you hear that analogy because it's just far from accurate. All right, that's that. Uh, ho hope you like this. If you do, definitely uh, please leave a, a nice, healthy review on whatever platform you're, you're using to listen to this. And if you like the stuff talked about in this little show here, you'll definitely dig my Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement. Uh, YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and my newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all three in the notes to this episode. That's it. Thank you all always for listening, and I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.